Welcome to Rock Talk, the show where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. I am so ready to talk about this movie. I couldn't sleep last night. I completely feel you, and that is because today we are reviewing the movie that may have inspired this podcast. It is a cinematic treasure, a masterpiece of one-liners, sweaty bald men, and adrenaline-fueled mayhem. Buckle your flippin' seatbelts, Rod fans, because we are about to review Fast Five. But first, what do we even got going on? Mazel! That's fantastic news! All right, Charlie, so I, I've heard that we've got a, a new Jumanji teaser trailer out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's take a listen to it right now. Welcome to Jumanji. Everybody run! We gotta go and get on my back. I would rather die. Get on my back. No, nope, I'm going to die. Put me down! I like can't even with this place. Okay, so Charlie, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, I have I've got a few emotions that I need to process after watching this trailer. But where where do you come in uh, initially after watching that trailer? So this teaser trailer, this little thirty second teaser trailer, doesn't really give us much of like the before they get to the jungle part of the movie where they're kids. Frankly, who cares about that part? Because those are a bunch of garbage little yeah, teenagers. get to the jungle, kids. <laughs> you know, we saw a little bit more of that. We saw a little more action. We saw animals chasing Dwayne Johnson. Uh, we have the little exchange between Dwayne Johnson and Jack Black where he says, you know, hop on my back. And, and uh, well, you, you heard it. Um, so we got to see a little more action this time and less um, exposition, which I liked. I, I agree. I, I got to say... I am pretty psyched for this movie. Uh, I think it looks super goofy, super fun. I, I, I gotta tell you, I have no like super connection to the original Jumanji, which might be my problem here. This to me looks hilarious. I love the combination of Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. We've talked about it before, but I freaking love Jack Black. I think he's hysterical. I don't know. I, I have good, I got a good, uh, feeling in my gut about this movie. Really? See, I'm kind of feeling the opposite. One of the things that we attributed the failure of Baywatch to is the fact that this, you know, that was a movie that was done by Dwayne Johnson's production company, Seven Bucks Productions. And, you know, it was a first time out for them, but this is their second attempt at a movie. Judging by Baywatch, I don't think it's going to go very well. Yeah, but maybe they've learned. Like, I, I totally agree. Baywatch, uh, if you listen to our last episode, uh, Baywatch was a total stinker. Total stinker, folks. Um, but, you know, he's, I mean, he's now spent like a year, he'll have spent a year hearing about how bad that movie was. You know, maybe they can kind of turn a corner here. But it doesn't, but it doesn't seem to have had any effect on him. You know, when it was getting bad reviews, he kept tweeting about how, you know, this movie isn't for the critics. This movie is for the people. So that, he didn't really seem to take any of that criticism to heart. May, hopefully I'll be proven wrong, but I'll bet you right now, Five dollars that when that movie comes out near Christmas and we see it, you'll walk away. When that movie comes out uh, on near Christmas and we see an opening night together, dressed well, up course. as characters from the movie, 
<laughs> like we did <laughs> our fast and days. furious costumes um okay that's a bet i'm willing to take i don't know i'm excited i'm excited for the movie i don't know we'll see we'll, we'll see well we'll see like i said i'll bet you five dollars and we got another piece of news and this is from the washington post so this is real freaking news um not just our uh little podcast news here um <laughs> what are you trying to say charlie but it is a little <laughs> <laughs> we are real news this is not fake news that's here right. at rock talk well, speaking of fake news, even though this is from a real news outlet, they are reporting on somebody who propagates a lot of fake news. Alex Jones says that he's so fed up with Donald Trump right now that if Dwayne Johnson were to run in 2020, he could support The Rock over Trump. Wow. I got to so. say, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this. Uh, so first of all, I just got to get this out of the way. I just got to get it out. All right. I love conspiracies. Big fan I love them. And as such, it's hard for me because Alex Jones, big conspiracy guy, you know, probably Mr. Conspiracy. Uh, at the same time, also pretty much a certifiable nut job. Yeah, yeah, he's a crazy person. So he posted a, uh, a video on Friday saying, here, here's a quote that he had. I don't really like Hollywood. I'm sick of it. It's so fake. It's empty. But I do like The Rock. I mean, I like his movies. My kids like his movies. Reportedly, behind the scenes, he's a really likable, a hardworking guy. And he's supposedly pretty conservative, but in a populist vein. So that's a good thing. And he said about a month ago he's considering a run for the presidency in 2020. And the way that Trump's going, if he betrays his base, I think there's one guy that's got more real star appeal and people appeal than even Donald Trump, and that's Dwayne Johnson. And if Trump dynamites his own base and starts telling out, and starts selling out to the Democrats, then I would back Dwayne Johnson running against Donald John Trump, and I think most Americans would as well. Wow. You know, uh, I guess he's got that going for him, even though, you know, I feel like that's a negative. This is an Alex Jones pivoting to the center moment, people. This is the pivot, big pivot. I like it. Here's the thing. Support is support. You sound like Donald Trump when uh, David Duke. David Duke and the KKK, big fans of my candidacy. You never turn down their support, <laughs> their people, their votes. I, I don't know. Um, the things, you know, the thing is, though, you know, Jones is crazy, but what he says here is is pretty on the nose. You know, likable guy, hardworking guy, conservative in a populist vein. I mean, we've talked about this, you know. Yeah, but we don't know if Dwayne Johnson would run as a conservative. I But yeah, I think that his appeal transcends political parties as we know it. Like, I think that he could run... No matter what party he runs for, he's going to be viewed centrist. I think that's – he's kind of got this like blue-collar thing going on. But, I, you know, I think he just has this very centrist, out-of-the-political-hemisphere type of a, a candidacy about him. I don't know. I'm very interested uh, to see what, what that would look like. It's a short news section that we have today because I really want to start talking about this movie. Jordan, why don't you take it away? You're right, Charlie, because it is time now for Daddy to go to work. Daddy's got to go to work. So today we are watching Fast Five, the 2011 action heist film starring the wonderful cast of The Fast and Furious. A few interesting things about this movie. You know, we always tell you the box office numbers. This movie had a budget of $125 million. In the United States alone, it made over $86 million on opening weekend, and then over 209 total in its lifetime uh, in the United States. When you're looking worldwide, this movie made over 626 million bucks. So big commercial success. 
Uh, and you know, when, when we instated the franchise Viagra test, this is really the franchise that Dwayne Johnson was talking about. So Jordan, I'm sure you know this. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, but I'm going to go over this anyway. This movie was a huge shift in the franchise. The previous films focused on mostly cars and car culture, car races, and sort of everything in it was sort of small and local. Uh, Fast Five really shifted to like an old school heist movie in the vein of Ocean's Eleven. Um, And the stunts went from a lot of CGI, I'm looking at you, Tokyo Drift, to Mm. mostly practical effects. And that's where a lot of the budget went. Um, $125 million is not a small amount of money to make a movie, but you see every single penny on the screen here, and I love it. It's it's absolutely true. This movie, uh, in so many ways, set the standard for the modern huge Hollywood blockbuster and what what practical effects are able to to convey. Um, but you know, there's so much we can talk about. I really just want to jump right into the to act one here. Um, so we can start breaking down this this absolute big Mac of a movie. Uh, so let's just get things going. Masterpiece of a movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Act one. We start off at the immediate conclusion of Fast Four. Dominic, also known as Dom Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, is being transported to Lompoc Prison by bus. His sister Mia, played by Jordana Brewster, and best friend Brian O'Connor, played by the late Paul Walker, lead an assault on the bus, causing it to crash, freeing Dom. While the authorities search for the trio, they escape to Rio de Janeiro. Awaiting Dom's arrival, Mia and Brian join their friend Vince, played by Matt Schultz, uh, a standout from Fast and Furious 1, as well as local criminal for hire Zizi, on a job to steal three cars from a train. The plan goes awry when Zizi turns on the team. Dom shows up, enabling Mia to flee in one of the stolen cars, but Brian and Dom are soon captured and brought to the crime lord Reyes, owner of the cars, Zizi's boss, and apparently the kingpin of Brazil. Reyes orders the pair to be interrogated in order to discover the location of the stolen car. However, Dom and Brian escape and retreat to their safe house. While Brian, Dom, and Mia examine the car, trying to discover its importance, Vince is caught, late at night, trying to remove a computer chip from the automobile. He admits he was planning to sell the chip to Reyes, and Dom forces him to leave. Brian investigates the chip, discovering it contains details of Reyes' criminal empire, including the locations of over $100 million in U.S. cold hard cash, kicking things off and setting the wheels of Fast Five in motion. Charlie, there's a little bit of expository plot detail in Act 1, but to me what was really incredible is the insane action sequences we get right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat, basically they have to spring Dom from this prison bus when he's on his way to prison. And with no regard to any of the other prisoners, or really even Dom, they end up flipping the bus like seven times <laughs> it's true and like no one this is like a school bus like no one is strapped in or buckled like and this bus does like seven head over tail flips just in the middle of the desert like these yeah. these guys are they should all be dead yeah they should but you know what and this is something that's gonna be hard for me to do but we should really try to refrain from bringing logic in to this podcast this episode because it's so amazing. Just just let your mind believe all of this stuff and go with it, and you'll have the yeah, best and time. This 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 movie, and we I know we mentioned it earlier, but it's such a shift from where Fast One through Four were taking this franchise. You pretty much 
asked to believe that the main crew, uh, headed, of course, by Dom and Brian, are essentially superhero-like figures. You know, there is nothing they cannot do. There is nobody they cannot fight, no computer they cannot hack. You're just asked to believe that for this movie, and it's incredible because we were, you know, it's something that I don't, I don't think anybody saw coming, but it really took this franchise to an amazing place. Yeah, I mean, and think about the original Fast and Furious movie. These guys were like small-time criminals who are also mechanics. And this is really the movie where you're right, they turned into superheroes. Nothing ever hurts these guys. I know we talked about it a little bit in the Fast and Furious 6 episode, but it really started here. You know, Brian at one point breaks glass with his bare <laughs> hands to get car keys, and he acts like like that was the best way to open that. Like, I bet you there's like no, a There was definitely there. a latch. I don't know why even... he would have to just punch yeah. it open like some sort of weirdo. Oh my uh, and then also, gosh. you know, this, this sequence. So I want to talk about like the way that Dom saves them in this scene. In the train, in the train yeah, the train uh, heist. Like heist. he is driving a car alongside the train. Like it's all. I don't, first of all, I don't know how fast anything is going. I have no sense of of speed because everything to me looks like they're going like three hundred miles an hour. Like everything was so looks so. It amazing. does. And first of all, that's that's also another thing. Like this movie is so beautiful. I mean, even beyond the incredible stunt work, you're getting such high definition saturation in almost every shot. This is also the first movie that they really took like a, you know, like they did Tokyo, um, but they very rarely highlighted like the beauty of Tokyo. Like there was a few shots of downtown, uh, but even the races were very constricted to to very specific roads. This movie, Fast Five, they the franchise was highlighting the beauty of Rio de Janeiro. Like the fact that we as the audience got to travel to Rio with the crew was almost as big a selling point as the movie being there in the first place. Like it was almost a vacation for the viewer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were constantly like establishing shots of like the Jesus statue overlooking. Oh, at least Rio. four, at least four uh, shots I of felt that. Like we saw that thing like five times. Yeah. Yeah. This movie really was more of like a, a destination movie than even, you know, Tokyo drift or something with it where the destinations in the title, it's almost like, and I know I've kind of brought this up with rock movies in the past, almost like a James Bond movie. Like, I feel like they they bring you there to, like, all these crazy locations, and that's as much as part a part of the plot as anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I would say, especially, especially Tokyo Drift and Fast Five, you know, the fact that, like, in this movie, the fact that they were in Brazil was so central to, like, 90% of the plot of this movie. Like, it felt really very grounded in the setting, which, again, was something – it was a very mature turn for these movies. Even as they got more outlandish and crazy, these movies became more mature and 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 cemented in, in oddly enough, reality. Like, even though this is the biggest movie up until this point in the franchise, it still is somewhat grounded in, like – like, to me, it's – like, what's incredible is that it's not – they hadn't yet jumped the shark in Fast Five. It was it was more over the yeah. top than ever before, but it's it wasn't as if they you know it it wasn't ludicrous. It still seemed uh, reasonable in the realm of possibility. These are just the best, the, but at the best of what they do driving wise. Like I don't know, I believed it. I I think the same thing. To me, this one really hits the sweet spot. Six, you see a little bit more of the shark jumping with the bridge sequence where Dom flies off of like intentionally oh. crashes his car to catch Letty in the amazing. air. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing, don't get me wrong, and I love every second of that movie. 
but this one really hits a sweet spot of heightening things without going too far. You know, I love Fast 7 as well, and that one is just insane. And to me, Fast 8 sort of went maybe a little too far. Um, we'll obviously talk about those, but yeah, this one definitely hits and a sweet just spot And just one last little tidbit before we move on to Act 2. Uh, in that they have a little news montage after the initial bus flipping scene where Dom escapes the prison bus. Uh, Pert Happily from Parks and Rec, I don't even know the actor's name, but the guy who plays Pert Happily is the anchor in that news montage, which I just thought that hysterical. Like, I don't know if he was doing Parks and Rec <laughs> in 2011. I don't even do those. Did the show like do they overlap? But like, yeah, that I cracked think so. me up. Like, this this movie and this is something I know we've discussed. Like this franchise. As if Perd Happily is a newsman <laughs> in Brazil. Right. This this is uh, as far away from Pawnee as possible. Um, but this franchise, you know, it draws famous actors and actresses like flies to honey. Like everyone is in these movies. Well, okay, but are we really <laughs> comparing Perd Happily? Perd Happily is a saint, Guile. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, definitely a little bit of a, a stretch there. Um, let's get into Act 2 because this is where we meet Dwayne Johnson's character. Yeah, we didn't even get to his character in the first act and we still Yeah, guys, love it. this movie is great. If you haven't watched it yet, pause this podcast. Watch this two-hour and 25-minute movie. Come back and pick it up where you started. Trust me. Seriously, it's the right way to do it. Act 2. We meet diplomatic security service agent Luke Hobbs, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, him and his team arrive in Rio. They're there to arrest Dom and Brian. With the help of local officer Elena Neves, played by Elsa Pataki, they travel to Dom's safe house. However, they find it under assault already by Rhea's men. Brian, Dom, and Mia narrowly escape Hobbs' team and Rhea's henchmen, immediately upon which Mia announces she's pregnant with Brian's child. Dom then suggests that they steal Ray's millions in order to start a new life. They organize the perfect team to perform the heist, made up of Han, Roman, Tej, Giselle, Leon Santos, and Vince, who, after repenting for his earlier crime of stealing the computer chip out of the car, is forgiven and invited back to the team. After one more failed attempt to capture Dom and Brian at an underground street race in Brazil, Hobbs is eventually able to track down and arrest Dom, Mia, Brian, and Vince, following an incredibly epic fight between Hobbs and Dom. While transporting the four of them to the airport for extradition to the U.S., their convoy is attacked. Reyes' men uh, have ambushed them, and they shoot and kill Hobbs' team. At the last second, Hobbs and Elena are saved by Dom, Brian, Mia, and Vince as they fight back and escape, though Vince is mortally wounded in the process. Seeking vengeance for their fallen team, Hobbs and Elena agree to help Dom's crew with performing the heist. Holy cow. Okay, Charlie, right off the bat, first impressions on Luke Hobbs, uh, Dwayne Johnson's character here. What do you What do you think? So what do we know about him? Uh, unfortunately, not a lot other than the fact that he works for the Diplomatic Security Service um, and that he is a badass with a goatee that changes length through the movie. Again, we saw that in Fast 6, and I guess it started here. I didn't notice it until this last time Seriously, someone it. buy this guy uh, but yeah. a trimmer with a guard setting. Like, it's every other scene. <laughs> this thing is so long, so short. It's very distracting. That's not a criticism, by the way. Uh, I love it. I mean, I love everything about this movie. It is a perfect movie. And I so love every when we first it. meet Dwayne Johnson's character, uh, he has a particularly uh, epic opening monologue. It's 
in my opinion, probably one of the strongest monologues in any Dwayne Johnson movie. Uh, we've got to take a listen. It's just absolutely incredible. So let's cue that clip up. Right, listen up. The men we're after are professional runners. They like speed and guaranteed to go down the hardest possible way. So make sure you got your thunderwear on. We find them. We take them as a team and we bring them back. And above all else, we don't ever, ever let them get in the cars. Crime scene is 10 hours old and counting, men. Let's go hunt. Is all of this really necessary to apprehend two men? Let me tell you something about these two men. One's a former federal officer, been in deep cover for five years, knows every way you're going to come for me. The other one's a professional criminal, escaped prison twice, spent half his life on the run avoiding folks like you. Well, if there is anything we can do to help their DSA... Two things. One, I need a translator. Claro, we have that in the public relations. A patrol officer. You heard me. But why? We have many more experienced people. I like her smile. What's the second thing? Stay out of my way. Okay, uh, get a freaking load of that. We've got Thunderwear. We've got demands to stay out of the at the, the f out of his way. Like this is delivered <laughs> so impeccably. All right, here's the thing, Dwayne. I know you <laughs> don't listen to this, but if you did, this is what we want from you. This is what we want. Even in Fast Eight, like. It seems like he wanted to be more of like a comedic sex symbol type thing. Uh, that's not really what we want. We want a singularly focused, just man. Gosh, that gives you these great one-liners. Talking about make sure you've got your thunderwear on. Oh, like Dwayne God, Johnson in this so movie good. is the personification of masculinity, uh, and it's just incredible yes. like i like up until i know that we've been gushing about how amazing we love this movie up until this point somehow you know we've had at this point it's 25 minutes of like non-stop action leading to this moment somehow when he shows up and delivers this monologue it the energy ramps up another level like it, he's some it's i mean it gets even bigger and better like his mere presence in this movie is electrifying and this opening scene just gives me chills every single time i hear it I wanted to give it a standing ovation in my living room <laughs> as I was watching this last night. But one of the things I, I will have to say, the diplomatic security service did not do that good of a job of making or of getting these guys to stay out of cars. That was one of the things he said. Whatever you do, make sure they, you know, that they stay out of cars. They're, they're God. Well, and also, driving. how are they, you know, how is anyone supposed to stop that? Like, God, like, that's, yeah. I, I don't know how you, I don't even know what he expected them to do. I, I will, and, and another thing, I know I'm bringing logic back into this, which I, I'm, it just kills me to do. Why is he part of the diplomatic security service? Is this part of their job to stop uh, criminals that have nothing to do with an embassy or diplomats? Like, what yes. diplomat okay, are Yes, okay, I am securing? so glad you brought this up. Uh the entire entity that is this diplomatic security, like, I want to know, is he a, like, a mercenary, basically? Like, is, does everyone in the diplomatic security service look like Dwayne Johnson? Uh, like, because he, I am assuming everyone is just beautiful, you know, fully capable humans. Like, I just want to know, like, is this a service of big dudes that go around the world, like, stopping criminals? Like, I just. Well, we get a little bit of explanation. From Brian, Brian says later on in the movie, when the CIA wants to find somebody, they call these guys. So I, it must be a, under the Department of Justice, like the CIA and FBI are. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a real agency, as far as I know. 
but why what are they doing tracking down these like point yeah car it's thieves? it's it's odd uh yeah, that's the other thing. Like, they haven't like it. Just it's just very weird. Like, I, I don't know why the Dwayne Johnson's. I don't know why Hobbs would be on this case. Um, can we talk about for a second Reyes as the as the the uh, villain in this film? Because I am. Yeah, sure. I gotta say, I was pretty underwhelmed by Reyes. Like, to me, his biggest crime appears to be money laundering. Um, but at the same time, we're never truly shown an indication of like Rio in like severe poverty or, you know. Well, when they're running through the favelas, people are living in You're shacks. right. There was the huge Shack City. I forgot about <laughs> Shack City. <laughs> <laughs> Where Mia announces that she's pregnant only after she's like jumped 20 feet down through a tin Seriously, roof. Okay. With I Brian. think they whole, and they're walking oh, yeah, just raw sewage. poopies. Um, they should have, why didn't Mia, like, I think that whole scene would have been more compelling had Mia announced just prior to that scene that she was pregnant and then they had to escape, but like safely, like, I, like, like daintily, like I want to see yeah, like yeah. what a safe escape looks like. Like did maybe Dom carries her or something. Like I want to see like, Maybe, but if she would have said that she was pregnant and then they do that jump through the tin roof, like, that wouldn't have been okay. It, it was only okay after the fact. Although yeah, she done should so. be more responsible. Um, this also, I gotta say, up until this moment in the movie, Mia is actually given a lot to do, which is pretty rare for the Fast and Furious movies. She's shown to be a, a very capable driver. Uh, you know, when ZZ and the team turn on Do- on Brian and, and Mia in the train, she is the one that realizes that it's happening. Like, and then in this moment, she successfully navigates through like an American Ninja Warrior uh, shantytown uh, and is like epic. <laughs> and then the moment that she announces she's pregnant, she is effectively like wiped out, not just in Fast Five, but in every single Fast and Furious movie ever. Like her character is diminished to mom, which yeah. is such a shame. But if they didn't do that, we probably wouldn't have gotten Giselle, which we can talk about this now. I love the scene where they're putting oh, the it's team so back cool. together. It is, it is, you know, one of my favorite movies growing up was Ocean's Eleven. I loved it, uh, and the team building sequence in that movie is so fascinating to me. This one, one ups it. I mean, it's a team building sequence, but you have like ludicrous. It's like an all star cast, like right? Because Roman was in Too Fast, yep, Too Furious, correct. right? We hadn't seen him since then, but uh, you know, we entered reintroduce han who wasn't in no he's a he was a tokyo drift exclusive and up until this point everyone from those movies had effectively been you know wiped it was kind of accepted well giselle was brand new right so but yeah it's like they're reassembling teams from from the old movies and god it's just it's amazing like this is kind of before they got the cast bloat that i talked about um, in the mini episode last week, it's like a perfect amount of people. Like everyone has a designated role. You know, they kind of go through it. They said, we need somebody that can disappear. So they bring Han. We need somebody that can talk themselves uh, out of anything. And they get Roman. You know, we need somebody that can hack anything. They get Tej. So, gosh, it's, it's just And then so even, you know, they bring in good. these two uh, Brazilian guys to join the team. They bring in it's uh, Leo and Santos. Um, and this is kind of becomes a, a, a little bit of a trope in each Fast and Furious movie moving forward is that they typically bring in like a few disposable side characters to the crew to either die or to lose fights or just to sort of fulfill like 
you know, wherever city they're in, they like to have like a member of the city. But I thought that these guys were actually pretty fun the entire movie. Like I, I actually enjoyed their presence. Well, uh, and you know, as fast as the cars are in this movie, uh, that even extends to the subtitles when these guys are speaking Portuguese. Like the the English subtitles, like race across the screen before they stop in the middle, but and then they run <laughs> to, onto the right side of the screen. Uh, it's a really interesting way of doing subtitles in a movie, and it really kept the action going. Um, do Hobbs and and Dom uh, they fight do. in this act? Uh, uh, yeah, this I mean, this is the the Tyson Ollie of the Fast and Furious franchise. This was what everyone was waiting for when it was announced Dwayne Johnson was going to be in this movie. And boy, does it freaking deliver. I mean, it's so good. They are throwing each other. Yeah, through this is again, like through some walls, slamming each other's heads into steel pipes, uh, punch after punch, it's kick after brutal. kick. They, they, at one point, Dwayne Johnson tackles Vin Diesel through the cement wall of, of this structure, and they fly at least 15 feet across a room. Like, it's unreal. It's 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 the best martial arts movie I've ever seen. Like, this fight alone was one of the greatest fight scenes I've ever seen. Everyone was waiting for this in the movie when it came out. You know, when they first heard that The Rock was going to be playing, essentially, the antagonist or the bad guy. And yeah, you're right. It delivered. Now originally Tommy Lee Jones was to play uh, Hobbs. Obviously it would have been quite a bit different, but then uh, somebody told them that they really wanted to see the rock and Vin Diesel fight. And Vin Diesel being a producer in this movie uh, heard about that and made that happen. And honestly, it was inspired, you know, as as much as the franchise has sort of shifted uh, leadership recently over to the rock from Vin Diesel, uh, you gotta say it's a great move. It was a great, uh, a great insight by Vin to include Dwayne Johnson. Uh, it was an unselfish move to bring Dwayne Johnson in, and it really gave this. One that at this point, you have to imagine now. he's bitter. Uh, he's definitely lost kind of that top billing. But you know, at the same time, you don't bring Dwayne Johnson in. This, I guarantee you, that this series does not have the legs that it currently does. Okay, so the fight scene is incredible, but there is one more just amazing interaction between Dom and Hobbs that happens actually right before the fight scene. It's at the underground street race, uh, and Hobbs and, and Elena show up trying to arrest Dom and Brian while, while they're just hanging out with uh, this huge group of people in Brazil. The interaction that these two have is just just divine, uh, and I, I think it's, again, I know we already played a clip um, in Act 2 here, but but we need to play this this clip of the dialogue because it's just simply out of this world the Toretto you're under arrest arrest I don't feel like I'm under arrest how about you Brian no not a bit not even a little bit I'll just give it a minute. It'll sink in. We didn't kill those feds. Those Reyes. I don't give a shit. Just here to bring in two assholes whose names hit my desk. Yeah. That sounds like a real hero. That's funny. I'm a guy who took the oath of a cop and then went against everything it stood for. Or some wannabe tough guy prick who beat a man half to death with a socket wrench. 
Real tough. You turn around and put your hands behind your back. I don't think so. Your mistake is thinking you've got a goddamn choice, boy. Your mistake? Thinking you're in America. You're a long way from home. This is Brazil! I mean, come on. It's so good. Even, like, the back and forth between Ven and uh, Brian is so good. Like, I don't feel under arrest. Yeah, that's... <laughs> How about you, Brian? Nope, not even... Li- like, it's just... Oh, uh, now, I like, I... Like, mm, as much as I love Paul Walker, you know, hashtag for Paul, I, he sort of was always the third banana in this New Testament of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, but I yeah, get you know, like he, the boyish charm. He's able now. to make any situation uh, like a little bit playful, uh, and and he's just got that look. He's got this like very like mischievous look going on. Uh, also, the way Vin Diesel speaks in this scene, it's like he's gargling on a full jug of Vermont maple syrup. I love it. Like the way he just <laughs> like w- like whispers out Brazil. Ugh. How do how does somebody even talk like that? It's like he has had a tracheotomy. Uh, it's something he should definitely get checked out. It's like, you're right. It is sort of like gargling it's insane. Up words. Oh, God. But, I, I mean, it works. It works. Yeah, and when he opens up his arms. And, and so this, and if you this haven't seen Brazil. the movie, this this scene is, is take, we The image that we used in our episode art, uh, when he says, this is Brazil, that's the exact moment uh, from this clip is when Vin has his arms out, staring directly into Hobbs' eyes. Uh, everyone in the entire crowd pulls their guns out on Hobbs. How did they plan? Like, was this planned? Was this a planned, like, coordinated, like... <laughs> He's like, guys, the code <laughs> this word just was is, so this weird. Um, and then he was, like, thinking about how to, like, turn around <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> like, I, gotta, I have to fit talking. This Is Brazil in here somewhere. Oh. Um, God, so that's, I mean, act two, I mean, there's a few more things in there, but, but once we get past like meeting the team and and we still need, there's still, there's still so much we could talk about this team, but let's get into act three where we actually see the crew in action. Uh, and we can kind of see them. So even though Dom and Brian uh, avoid being captured by Hobbs at this underground street race, uh, Hobbs does ultimately end up arresting Dom, Mia, Brian, and Vince, uh, and is is taking them you know, in a armored car for extradition to the United States. However, like we said, their convoy got attacked. And this is really, you know, the turning point for Hobbs' character. Again, not just this movie, uh, but for the entire franchise. Um, it, it's like a war zone, and it's a really weird but very cool beat that the movie takes um, basically you just see like all of Hobbs's men get slaughtered by Reyes's men who have ambushed, uh, Hobbs. Um, I, I guess the idea is that they're going for I, Vin and the crew, right? Because I believe, I believe that's correct. And the on only fire. other reason I can think that they would 
be trying to kill Hobbs's people is because I think that Hobbs and Elena kind of messed up when Reyes was initially when Reyes's people initially ambush the gang. Hobbs and Elena also show up, and it kind of like messes up their their first opportunity to get them. That's true. So he could be out for revenge. But anyway, so yeah, and this is the big turning point in the movie where uh, Hobbs and Elena decide that they they, they want to help Vin and his crew steal from Reyes. Uh, and we also lose yeah, we uh, lose Vince, who is uh, pretty much just a Fast and Furious one Vince, yeah uh, character. I I don't know. I think it's kind of cool they brought him back. You know, we were saying how fun it is that they brought so many characters back. Vince to me was not somebody who needed to be back in this franchise. Um, there was like the uh, like Vince's like entire character arc is that he also loved Mia. So there's just always been kind of beef between him and Brian, which we don't even really see in this movie. So again, I I just I found it weird. But like you said, this is when Hobbs and Elena uh, turn the corner and they decide to help with the heist, which leads us deliciously. Uh, into the start of Act 3. We start off with the gang breaking into the police station and tearing open the vault that holds Reyes' money, using cars, dragging it through the city like a ball on a chain. After an extensive police chase, with what I imagine is just millions of dollars worth of property damage, Dom makes Brian continue without him while he attacks the police and the pursuing Reyes, using the vault attached to his car in order to smash their vehicles, which would enable Brian to get away and conceivably have a wonderful safe life with Mia and their unborn child. Hobbs decides to let Dom and Brian go free on two conditions. First, they turn over the money, and second, they only have a 24-hour head start before he begins his pursuit. They agree and immediately leave the scene. Upon opening the vault, however, Hobbs finds that it is empty. The crew switched the real vault with a decoy in the middle of the chase. So after splitting the $100 million they've earned, Dom and the crew go their separate ways. It's so cool. I mean, it really is like a throwback to like an old school heist movie. You know, there's the switcheroo at the end, and then they go back briefly to show us how they did it. Uh, you know, it was right under our noses the whole time, you know. Um I love uh, Hobbs' reaction when he finds out. He opens up the vault and it's empty. And instead of thinking, like, conceivably, he's never actually seen cash in this vault. Like, instead of thinking, like, oh, well, maybe there was never any cash in the vault. Maybe we didn't, you know, maybe he moved the money before we got there. Like, he immediately knows that they switched it. Like, that they're able to overnight a giant safe. To me, the way he reacts, it's all—it's totally ad- admiration. I mean, he's he loves I think that he at this point he is part of Vin Diesel's family and there's just like nothing that can be done. I gotta say this final stunt of them it's Dom and Brian are driving through the streets of Rio with this humongous vault attached to each of their cars. This is probably They're dragging it behind. I have yeah. to say in my top three stunts all time Fast and Furious if not my if not my all time favorite. Is this your favorite? If you were gonna, I would. I think my. I mean, my my immediate through my gut instinct is this one. Uh, We have vault. We have the scene in Fast Six jumping from the bridge, and then in Fast Seven the jumping between buildings. I mean, I I love them. Yeah, I would. I would. I would flip six and and uh, and five. As as much as I love this movie, that scene, the bridge scene, is amazing. So I would say, yeah bridge but it's, inc- vault, it's incredible building we get so much fun stuff here it, 
it, what's really fun, I want to kind of quickly take a look at is at the end when the team goes their separate ways, we kind of get like a where are they now type of a thing after each, you know, to see each member of the team. We see Tej and Roman, you know, Tej opened up his own auto shop in Los Angeles. Uh, and Charlie, you probably know this better than I do, but they both have some like tricked out luxury car from what I can tell. I don't know. It's cool though. Yeah, yeah. They So uh, Roman shows up with a uh, with a Koenigsegg, which is a Swedish supercar, super low production numbers. He says, this is the only one in the Western Hemisphere. He's like, and this is all you bought, you know, your stupid auto shop? And he goes, yeah, well, let's get going to dinner or whatever. And this, like, really hot girl pulls up in, a, in another Koenigsegg. So uh, that was a brilliant. I just love that. Um, and then we skip over to Han and Giselle, who've ended up. And, and keep in mind, Giselle is Jeez, Gal that's right. Gadot. We haven't Giselle even mentioned that. Wonder Woman. Um, this is a. Oh, I could talk about Han and Giselle. I honestly, we could do it for another full length episode. You're absolutely right. Uh, and I do. We just quickly. I feel like we do owe them. Just I want to give like a, a the smallest idea of these characters. So Han is easily. You know, f- with the shortest amount of screen time, but the most charismatic person in this franchise, I think his his charisma to screen time ratio is off the charts. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. He's so smooth. They, they, the and reason, cool. you know, a major reason, God, you know, Fast awesome. Five, it's revealed that this is a prequel, you know, to Fast Three. This movie actually jumps back in time. This is the beginning of of the timeline yeah. of the Fast and Furious franchise shifting really dramatically. Five, six, and seven are all prequels to Tokyo Drift. Um, I mean, it's a it's audacious of the producers to be like, well, uh, Gal Gadot, this was her first movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, she's amazing. She's, she's, I mean, she's cool. She's intimidating. She's, so she's sh- sharp. She drives motorcycles. She like was in the army. I mean, in real life, she was in uh, the Israeli army. But, uh, you know, that's part of her backstory in, in this movie. Um, th- you get this really great scene where Han and Giselle are together earlier in the movie and they're sort of like flirting, but like feeling each other out. So Han asks Giselle, um, so when did you get out of the service? And she goes, how did you know I was in the army? He goes, Oh, the way you handled that gun and the, and the make and model of the gun is, you know, issued to the Israeli army. And she goes, Oh, well I got out of the service around the same time you stopped smoking. And he goes, how did you know I stopped smoking? You know, the detail, you know, Han in nearly 90% of his scenes in every Fast and Furious movie he's in, he's eating. It's, it's, it's similar to the way that Brad Pitt in a lot of his movies, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, but it's such an interesting addition to his character. This guy, uh, he makes every single scene look so natural. Um, God, yeah, you're right. Jeez. We could talk about those two for just, and then when we see them at the end of the movie, Han is driving down the road with <laughs> Giselle on his lap. Uh, and they're just like going at it. And it's like, dude, you are going like 130 miles an hour in, I will say, like maybe my all-time favorite car, the Lexus LFA, which is like, I just loved Han even more for that. Han's name, you see it briefly, uh, when they issue the uh, police arrest warrants, uh, his name is spelled H A N S E O U L O H, which is supposed to be pronounced oh, Han like, as if Solo. he couldn't get any cooler. Han Solo. <laughs> um, but there is, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about, Gosh. but we really need to get to the uh, 
ultimate test of whether or not Dwayne Johnson took this movie to the next level, and that is the franchise Viagra test. Franchise Viagra. <laughs> Once again, the franchise Viagra test is split into three tenets. Those tenets are hard work, charisma, and physique. Uh, first test, hard work. Yes, of course. The stunts are great. He is doing stunts that are great, or at least his... Uh, his cousin is there's the whole sequence where fast five becomes a war movie. That's really focused on Hobbs and you do see some emotion there. He's really acting, seeing like his brothers uh, executed for the most part. So yes, I think he's working hard and he's acting with as much skill as you'll see with maybe the exception of fast six charisma. It's great. You know, it's not really what we see nowadays because there's not much humor. I think he's got it in his head you know, in the last year or two that he's some sort of comedian. That's not what he does here. Really stays in his lane. He's commanding. There are great one-liners. Like Thunderwear? Who even says that? It's amazing. But he is a bona fide action star in this movie. And it, and it really uh, personifies what franchise Viagra is. So, of course, he passes that tenet. And last is physique. Of course he's going to pass this one in this movie. He's wearing the <laughs> tiniest Under Armour shirt that I'm sure they had to cut off him after shooting every day. Um, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of the pain and gain, like freakish muscle growth. Um, but he's also dripping with sweat at every turn. Uh, uh, this is, in my mind, the reason the franchise Viagra test exists. Uh, Dwayne Johnson single-handedly energized his franchise and has, you know, now the fact that he's now doing his own spin-off from this franchise speaks to the extent to which he electrified the Fast and Furious franchise and and brought it to really a, a, a level that I don't think anybody saw coming. Uh, truly a magnificent movie for Dwayne Johnson. And not just a good Dwayne Johnson movie, but a great movie. Uh, fun, fun, fun flick. Uh, so it, yes, it is a, a 110% pass for the franchise Viagra test for me as well. Yeah. Well, and, and one last thing, I know we're running a little long, so hopefully we have time for this. Uh, something that I think maybe, you know, we can start doing, uh, is sort of give people a list of our rankings. I know we kind of touched on that in some of the earlier episodes, and I'm sure the list that I'm about to give is going to conflict with that. But, uh, you know, I'll just run through mine. We won't discuss maybe... We'll go into greater detail maybe in a mini episode. So it'll be it'll be good fodder for an upcoming mini app. So keep an eye out. We don't really disagree on a lot, but there's a few uh, things in here that we could definitely go at it. Um, okay, so from worst to first, so from number 11 to number one, here are mine. Number 11, Baywatch. Number 10, Tooth Fairy. Number 9, Game Plan. Number 8, Scorpion King. Number 7, Get Smart. Number 6, Gridiron Gang. Now we're in the top five. These are the elite of the elite, as far as I'm concerned. Number five, Pain and Gain. Four, Moana. Three, The Rundown. Two, Fast and Furious 6. And taking the top spot, for me at least, is Fast Five. I don't know what's going to knock it off. I can't imagine another movie is going to dethrone Fast Five. Uh, My list looks similar, uh, with a few exceptions. Uh, Let me run through that for you here. Number 11, The Tooth Fairy. Number 10, Baywatch. Number nine, Scorpion King. Number eight, Gridiron Gang. Number seven, Get Smart. Number six, Moana. And then the top five. Going with number five is The Rundown. Number four, The Game Plan. 
Number three, Fast and Furious 6. Number two, Pain and Gain. And number one, Big Ol' Fast 5. Just a, just, a, just a slam dunk of a movie, folks. Yes. Gosh, it's so... And you know what? This felt so good to talk about. I know it's probably going to be one of our longer episodes, but we were kind of in the trenches there for a little while, especially <sighs> last week. Last week kind of broke me. If you haven't watched Fast Five, and uh, if you... If that's a movie you haven't watched, I'm surprised that you're listening to this podcast. But if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. It is truly remarkable. Please join us on the conversation. Let us know what you think of Fast Five. We are on Twitter at Rock Talk Pod and on Facebook at Rock Talk Pod. It's real easy. Uh, so send us a comment, a message. Let us know what you think of these movies. Do you agree with our rankings? We'll be going into those again in greater detail in a mini episode. So stay tuned. And until next time, thank you for listening. And as always, we are Rock Talk.